This is the Radically Christian Crosstalk Podcast, Episode 2. I'm your host, Wes McAdams, and on today's episode, we'll be discussing ransacking the Bible. I'm sitting here with James Sumners. James, how you doing, brother? It's great to be here. I am always enjoy spending time with my friends discussing the Bible and, and uh, its value in our lives. Absolutely. Fantastic. And I'm also here with Sam Dominguez. Sam, how you doing, brother? I'm doing <clears throat> as well as can be expected. I do have a little bit of uh, something, something down in my throat and my chest, so I apologize for the sound of my voice and if I blow anybody's eardrums by coughing into the microphone. No worries. We'll, we'll take care of that. You just wake them up. Nice. I'll use it to emphasize my points. Nice. So, Sam, what, what you got on your mind today, brother? Well, I had been thinking about uh, an article that my dad wrote on LetGodBeFoundTrue.net about the word ransacked and the idea of ransacking your Bible. And uh, I sent it to you guys uh, looking for just some feedback because I thought it was a really interesting idea. Uh, It's the type of thing that my dad and I talk about uh, regularly. I've mentioned on the show before that uh, my dad taught me quite explicitly that study of the Bible is a, a deliberate act and something that you do uh, very conscientiously, deliberately. And so he talked about in this article about the word uh, ransacked and how it carries this negative connotation of destruction uh, in our typical usage. But really, in its meaning, it simply means no stone left unturned. You know, they're, they're, when you're searching for something, you're turning the place upside down. There's literally nowhere that you did not look. There's no extent that you didn't go to to try and find what you were looking for. And he used the idea to <clears throat> refer to our study of the Scripture and how thorough our study of the Scripture really needs to be. And uh, made an interesting comment that uh, in uh, the passage about the, the Bereans, who are obviously a, a great biblical example of this, that in the Norwegian translation of the Bible, they actually use the word ransack for uh, examining the scriptures. And I I just thought it was a really excellent point to be made, something really worth considering, uh, the idea that we are so intently searching for the truth in God's word that we're not going to leave any corner of the scripture untouched, unturned, We're going to turn that thing upside down, and we're not talking about in a destructive sense. We simply mean, I am not going to be satisfied to say, well, I know it's in there somewhere. You know, uh, I was listening to a tech podcast uh, the other day uh, where uh, the two two of the hosts were trying to convince a fellow host that he needed to thin out his wallet because he had like a multi-inch thick wallet full of all kinds of nonsense. And, you know, they were asking him, well, how do you sit on that wallet? This has a point, I, I trust me. They're like, well, how do you sit on it? And he says, well, I, I, I don't sit on it. I carry it in my backpack. I say, oh, well, that's ridiculous. You can't carry it in your backpack. What if you lose your backpack? I never lose my backpack. I always know my, where my backpack was. And then literally on the next episode that they recorded a week later, he had lost his backpack uh, at a friend's house that he had gone to for supper. And they were aware of it because they were also there. And so we're with him when he discovered that he had left his backpack behind. And of course, his claim was, well, I didn't lose it because I knew where it was. And they were like, no, it wasn't with you. The point was you needed that thing with you. And, you know, he argued back and forth because he didn't want to be caught out for the foolishness of it, understandably so. 
But how many of us, though, are comfortable in our study of the Scripture with just saying, well, look, I know it's in there, and I know that in a crunch I can dig out the truth if I have to, but I'm just comfortable to know, well, I, I know where the truth is, and I may not be able to find it, I may not have it right with me to hand, but it's in there somewhere. And so we're comfortable with our study being less than ransacking. Right. Well, and so many people, they think they know that it's in there, and what they think they know is in there isn't in there at all. It's some phrase they heard sometime, and they, well, cleanliness is next to godliness, you know, and they they hear some phrase, and, and you know, obviously most people know that's not in the Bible, but there's a lot of Shakespeare phrases that we think are in the Bible, and it's like, no, no, no. That's not in there. Or they heard it in a song or a hymn one time, and and they think that it's in Scripture, but it's not. And you know, and and to some extent, that's not a huge deal. But there are some huge theological problems. I mean, think for a second about the sinner's prayer. I mean, how many people would honestly, if they, if you honestly had a, a conversation with them, and help them to realize that you know this idea, even the concept of just asking Jesus into your heart and and saying a prayer in order to receive salvation, that that concept isn't found anywhere in Scripture. They say, you know, I'm sure it is. I mean, my, my pastor said it was. You know, I, I'm sure it's in there somewhere, you know. and but we If do it's the, not, it ought to be, right? Right, if it's not, it ought to be. But we do the same thing, you know. I mean, and, and neither way is better, whether it's there or it's not there, if we're not— if we're just so comfortable saying, well, I'm sure it's in there somewhere. You know, I heard that one time, so I'm sure it's in there somewhere. It's lazy. Well, know? doesn't it reflect a, a, an extremely callous or cavalier attitude about our own salvation? I mean, you know, it's fascinating. If, if, you, if you were thrown into prison and were told, this law right here is the one that we are going to use to terminate your life, and you've never heard of it, and you don't understand its ramifications, and you don't understand how it applies to you, the first thing you're going to want to do is say, well, give that to me. I want to understand what it is that you're going to use to judge me in this circumstance. And yet even people who, you know, not unbelievers, not people who are unchurched, people who are in the church, people who proclaim Jesus Christ, people who otherwise are seeking salvation, or at least, you know, they, they say as much, have this completely cavalier attitude of knowing that which is going to judge us. But Jesus has said, my word will judge you. And yet we're kind of like, okay, well, you know, I'll, I'll just be vaguely familiar with the idea. It, this morning when we were talking about, um, I was preaching from 1 Timothy chapter 4, and I was really thinking about that in, in regards to this idea of ransack. And I love that word because it it implies it implies some effort it implies some tenacity it 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 implies that i'm not going to stop until i find what i'm looking for until like you said every stone has been turned over and and i love some of the words that paul gives to timothy and its application not just for young preachers as timothy was but its application for all of us and and he uses words like um toil and strive. To this end, we toil and strive. And and that word strive, and it's found several times in, in Scripture, but the Greek word is agonizomai, the idea of agonizing over something, that we we strive with an agonizing effort. Um, but, but we live in an age where people don't want to put forth effort for anything. I mean, they don't want to... I mean, 
people in times past, if they wanted to eat, they had to get up and go kill something and go bring it home and cook it. And But now I mean, we live in an age where we have just become incredibly, and I, I'm not talking about they out there, I'm talking about me in here, uh, but it, it's so easy to become so lazy that we're just comfortable with who we are and where we're at spiritually, that we're not putting forth an effort to grow. We're not striving for, for greater knowledge and better understanding and to, as we've talked about before, deal with our sin. And if we know that the, the Word of God is the sword by which we can overcome the sin that we're struggling with, but we're just comfortable. And we just say, well, yeah, I've got an anger problem, or yeah, I've got a pornography problem, or I've got a this problem or that problem. And it's like, yeah, but what are you doing? What effort are you putting forth to grow so that you can stand firm against Satan's schemes? And the answer so often is, I'm not doing anything. You know, I just, I'm admitting to you, I, I struggle with it. You know, and that brings up something that, that just hit me yesterday for the first time. I've, I've got three kids. I've been married for six years. And and I've had the struggle with anger for so much of my life. When when I went through college, and by the time I got married, I thought that was all behind me. My anger, my frustration, my ir—I mean, my my explosiveness that I have sometimes—that it was gone because the things that pushed me there were gone, and I didn't realize that. I thought, okay, I'm done with this. I haven't. I, but I hadn't really continued to prepare myself to plan. One of the things that I loved about Sam, um, getting to know him in college, the things that uh, that kind of bonded us, and, and uh, I was just thinking about this the other day, is uh, just some things that we talked about throughout our college uh, career together was pr- preparation, preparation for, for everything. How, how can I be a good father if I don't ever think about how I'm going to handle the frustrations that I deal with. How do I deal with when my, when my child will just not calm down? How do I deal with it when my wife and I can't have an agreement? How do I deal with these things if I don't ever prepare for them? And it's the same thing goes for my faith. How can I deal with questions that will come up about my faith if I don't really know what I believe, if I don't spend the time in the Word, if I don't turn over every stone don't don't seek every possible connection i mean the bible is like it's a map that's just woven together and if we cannot if we cannot spend the time to to go past well i got through chapters 1 through 3 today so i'm good if we if we can get past that and say you know what as i was reading today this connected here and this connected here and see how it's not just some well Paul wrote to these guys because they, he cared about them, and 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 this is the story of Jesus, and 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 don't see that they're connected. We can lose so much because we don't really we don't really put the effort in understanding this is God's word to us and to them specifically, but a word that we can follow and know the mind of our God and Savior. Well, I mean, th- think about that. Think about that. How many of us as Christians? Either ourselves, almost definitely ourselves, uh, let's just say ourselves, and other Christians that we've known are caught completely flat-footed when some circumstance of life comes up, whether it be tragic or just troublesome, whatever it may be, 
Some circumstance of life comes up, and they simply don't know how God informs them about how to deal with it. And it's because they haven't been taking steps to be prepared. You know, you're content to know what the Bible tells you about what you've dealt with now, but you're not making any steps for what might happen to you in the future, or what is guaranteed to happen to you in the future, or even for those things that you are deliberately causing to happen to yourself. And what you want to do is, well, I'll deal with that when it happens. And then when it happens, you're stunned, and you and you want to ask, well, why, God? And God says, why are you asking me why? I told you how to deal with this. You could have already known how to deal with this. And I don't mean to make light of people's struggles. I mean, obviously, that was a little bit of hyperbole. But if we're not taking those steps to be prepared, then we're simply asking to be caught flat-footed. But then what's, what's our response to that? We go talk to someone who, as far as we know, has ransacked the word, and we get their thoughts on it. We get their opinion on it. And so then we put ourselves in a position where instead of being able to take Jesus at his word, like James was just talking about, instead of being able to take the Son of God at his word, instead we turn around and say, well, I'm going to have to take Sam at his word, or I'm going to have to take James at his word, or I'm going to have to take Wes at his word, or whoever it is that we put into that position and basically say, look, I don't understand this law that's going to judge me. I don't understand what God's plan is for my life. You tell me, and I'm just going to trust you rather than like the biblical example of the Bereans saying, hey, you know what? That sounds interesting, Apostle Paul, but I'm not going to take your word for it. I'm going to go to the Scripture, and I'm going to find out if this is true. But how many of us are simply content to say, you know what? Wes talks a good game. I'm just going to take his word for it. Mm -hmm. And why do we want... Why is it that we want someone between us and God? I mean, that's the whole problem that man is in. There is something, sin, between us and God. Why would we want to put something else between us and God? That's two layers that we have to go to to get through to God. God has made a way for us through baptism. We have salvation in Him, in, in uh, His Son. Uh, you know, we, we've been studying Isaiah, and, and studying in chapter 6, we were talking about this morning in class, and the... Um, the boldness that Isaiah gets when when the seraph touches his lips with the coal and says, your sin is forgiven, your, your sin is annulled, your guilt is gone. And he turns around and says, I will go, I will do whatever you say. That's the boldness that we could have if we just say, I'm going to move everything out of the way. I'm going to get rid of everything. I'm going to throw out what what hinders me and just pursue God and pursue Him alone because, because I can do it, because I can do it through Him, because He has given me what I need to pursue Him. That is what, I mean, the, the power of Christ is the power to say, all of this stuff that gets in the way of living for Him, I can do it because He is with me. That's a great point. You know, I mean, we, we really are denying ourselves the blessings of being in Christ. We the, the, the curtain in the temple was torn in two. The, the priesthood now is opened up where all of God's saints are now priests before God that we can enter in and come before his throne with boldness and confidence. And, and yet, like you said, we bring in these 
these mediators between us and God, where we have somebody else tell us, what did God say about this? What's God? What's God's thoughts on this? Rather than just read it for yourself. He's speaking so that you can understand and you can apply it to your life and you can go to him directly in prayer and communicate with him. What a beautiful relationship. And what if we did that in our human relationships? While you were talking, I was thinking, well, what if we did that in our marriage? What if I went to my mother-in-law and I was like, you know, tell me about my wife, you know, tell me uh, who she is and what is she like? And, you know, it's like, well, wait a second, you're married. Go talk to your wife. Go find out from her what she thinks. Don't ask someone else to come in between you and the person to whom you're married. And as the church, we are the bride of Christ. And so why in the world would we not leave every sto- leave any stone unturned to know his will for our lives, to know what he thinks about any issue? But we do that. I mean, I get phone calls and I you know, I'm, I have mixed feelings when I get a phone call from a Christian that wants to know, well, what does the Bible say about this? On the one hand, I think, well, I'm, I'm glad you want to know. I'm, I'm excited you want to know. Part of me just wants to say, well, you know, why don't you just go find out? You just go dig it up. It'll be fun. You'll learn something. You'll grow. Uh, you know, but on the other hand, it's like, well, you know, I, I want them to know the answer to that. But more than anything, I want them to be hungry enough where they're going to look for it themselves and dig it up, dig it up. And that that's really the key, you know, and that that's the beauty of that word ransacked. That's the beauty of the critical analysis in Timothy that we were doing this morning about those words about agonizing over the word to discover the truth, those words carry with them the understanding of the motivation behind what you're doing. You know, it is not a cold transaction that is taking place. There is determined passion behind these things. The implied motivation, the understood motivation behind what you're seeking is there in those words. And yet, how many of us if words were being written down to describe Sam's Bible study techniques, would my passion and motivation be able to be carried in those words? Would my passion and motivation be understood by those words? And, you know, we talk about things like, oh, we, we just want it to be so easy. We just want it to be laid out on a silver platter about so many things. Yeah, but every single one of us has that thing in life that stirs up our passion, and that we will expend boundless amounts of time and energy pursuing. And yet, for how few of us is that a study of the Word of God? That's that's phenomenal. I mean, because if you... If you looked at people's, we have Google now, you know, and I mean, people will spend forever researching things on, well, or just scrolling through Facebook or Twitter or whatever, but, but, but searching diligently for the answer to whatever their question is. And we have this wealth of knowledge at our fingertips where, or now it's like, we can Google this and Google that. And what is this? And what's the answer to that? And people will do that. And they'll research all kinds of things about their hobbies, about their work, about their family, about whatever it is. I mean, Think about uh, genealogy, you know, and people that that study genealogy. I mean, that's fantastic, and I'm not knocking that at all. But, but if we applied that same level of tenacity to the word, but sometimes the best we can hope for with ourselves or with other Christians is that, well, at least they're reading it once a day, or at least they're reading it a few times a week, and it's like, yeah, but. Why are you reading it? What's your desire? Like James said a minute ago, you know, it's like, well, I got my three chapters in. It's like. 
Well, that's not, that's not a workout. You know, I mean, it's like, well, I went to the gym, you know, I looked around at the treadmills and stuff. I walked a little bit on a treadmill. It's like, yeah, but what are you, what are you trying to accomplish? What's your goal? And if we're really seeking God and that's what God, you know, when I study Isaiah, you know, especially the last couple chapters I've been looking at lately, 65 and 66, I mean, God wants to be sought. God is a God that says, he starts off chapter 65 by saying, here I am, here I am. God wants to be sought, and he's given us his word by which we can seek him and know him, yet we leave it on the shelf or we flip through it and we are content with reading a couple chapters a day. Well, and how many of us are not far from the kingdom? You know, and I'll leave that for people to go look it up themselves. But how many of us find ourselves in that situation where we are close, we're not far from the kingdom, and then we're content to say, well, hey, you know, at least I showed up. You know, and there are some athletes who just sitting on the bench is good enough for the, hey, I got to the big show, as they might say. And then there are the champions for whom nothing is good enough. And once they've won, they just want to win more. And their passion is driven through every pore in their body. And we look at those people and we admire those people. We follow those people. We pay attention to every last detail of everything they say. And yet how many of us run the race to win? You know, the the implication is not that we can win it by ourselves, but the direct instruction is, but you run it like you're going to win it anyway. You put that energy in. You put that passion in. And if that's not important enough to you, it's not something that you just sit back and say, oh, well, I wish I had that. Oh, I wish. And <laughs> I mean, talk about you know moments of self-criticism. How many times, and, and moments of uh, spiritual competitiveness and, and envy, how many times have I looked at just the, the two of you and the, the three of you, Cameron included, and said, man, I wish I had that passion. I wish I had that love for my fellow man. I wish I had this. I wish I had that. And if what you really look at, you say, well, no, I'm not ransacking the word. No, I'm not diligently seeking for the truth. Yes, I am treating my salvation cavalierly in that regard. And say, well, why? Is it not that important to you? And if you're honest enough with yourself to say, no, it's not that important to me, then that gives you a place to start. Mm -hmm. You can say, okay, then forget about this other stuff. Let's figure out why this isn't as important to you as it should be. You know, like we talked about before, why do you not feel the burden of your sin? Why do you, because if you felt the burden of your sin, then you would appreciate what Jesus did to lift that off of you. And then you wouldn't be stopped. You wouldn't have to be bribed by the idea of golden streets in heaven. You would understand that the glory of heaven is simply being with God, which is what's denied to us on this earth. But instead, we kind of like being bribed to get there, too, as though just being there is not good enough. But then on top of that, we say, well, God, I also want you to make my life here happy. (laughs) We had to talk about that in Bible class with the first graders. We were talking about the stoning of Stephen, and I just threw out there, you know, for the little kids to think about, said, could... Could God have saved him? Yes. Why do you think he didn't? Well, I mean, blank looks all around. I mean, little kids, they've never thought about something like that before. But how many of us as adults don't think about those things? And then I, I simply said to them, well, 
Isn't heaven worth anything that happens here on earth? Even if the most miserable, horrible things happen to you here on earth, heaven's going to be so much greater that you don't even remember those things. That's what the scripture tells us. So why do we cling so fiercely to the idea that God needs to make me happy here or keep me safe here or any of these other things instead of just saying, I'm clinging to the one thing that can ensure I have salvation with you in heaven, and that's the word. Mm-hmm. And isn't it amazing how this is, it, it, it's a cycle, you know, it 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 builds on itself, and, and I've, I'm discovering this, you know, as I grow, and and. When you when you desire God and when you desire to know His will, then you read His Word and then your desire grows and it grows and it's a hunger that in in a sense is satisfied as nothing else can can satisfy. But in another sense, it's it the hunger is insatiable and it grows and it grows and grows because I want to know Him more. But getting people to that point where they want to begin that journey, where where they realize. We're not just saying, just read the Bible. We're saying, desire God, you know, seek him, seek the Lord while he may be found. And when I read, I am so humbled when I read, I have my Bible open to Psalm 119, and I'm I'm humbled every time I read the psalmist and his love for and desire for the written word of God and how much he loves it and it's and it's sweet to his taste and and he he desires it and he wants to be trained by it and molded by it. And then I think he lived under the old and obviously he wrote by inspiration, but he wrote under the old covenant, which Hebrews is all about how our covenant is so much better and our written word is is more full. And we have this full revelation of God laid out before us, this beautiful picture of how God loves his creation and how he sent his son to redeem us back to himself and his will for us. And yet we care more about what's in the TV guide. Well, we don't look at the TV guide anymore, but you know, we care more about what's on TV or what's on Facebook or what's on Twitter or, or our hobbies or our jobs or whatever it is more than that. And, and, we, and I love what you said. Just admit, can we just admit God isn't as important to me as he should be. His word isn't as important to me as it should be. And begin there and be humbled by that realization and by that confession and move on from there and take the next step. When we were pursuing our wives, it wasn't something that you did. I showed up today and it's like, you love me. I love you. Let's get married. Done deal. It worked. That, is, that, is that how Christianity works? That I go to Jesus and say, hey, I'm here. I showed up. Or like an athlete shows up and says, hey, I, I, I want to be on the team. I want to play tonight. First, first team, I want to be point guard on the basketball team. Have you ever touched a basketball? Never. No. In our relationships with, with our wives, our spouses, it's, again, that is an analogy that Christ used about, about the church. It's what uh, Paul talks about, us being the bride of Christ. We cannot have that relationship with God if it's just something that we do casually. It's something that we have to pursue. We have to maintain. We have to seek. I cannot keep my wife's love if I just sit around on the couch and and, and munch on chips all day. She's not going to respect me. She's not going to love me if I'm not showing her love, if I'm not pursuing 
the main maintenance of that love if I'm not pursuing to keep that relationship so that I can learn even more about my wife than I've ever known before. The same thing with Christ. I have to continually seek out and pursue and renew my my mind and my body and my soul and my spirit so that I can seek him with everything because that's what he wants. And we've we've talked about before, uh, maybe just in our personal conversations, but the heart and, and I always go back to the heart. Why is the heart so important to God? Because the heart is what triggers every other response. If, you're, if God does not have your heart, it doesn't matter what, he, what you do with your, with your mind. It doesn't matter what you do with your body because he doesn't have the heart. It, if, you, if, you have the, if God has your heart, then all the rest of it's going to come into line. You're going to be able to mold your body into doing what it's supposed to do. You're going to be able to mold your mind into doing what it's supposed to do. And we have to continually pursue that and seek it and push ourselves to the limit. Our relationship with God is not a relationship of convenience, but a relationship of pursuit. Well put. Well put, brother. We're going to have to wrap it up, guys. I appreciate it. Thanks to Cameron for running the sound system for us. I appreciate you guys. Thanks for your thoughts. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, please take a second and leave us a review on iTunes. Remember, we love you, God loves you, and we hope you have a wonderful day.